Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from San Francisco, California. Welcome to the show, Andrew Kreber. Thanks, Victor. I appreciate you having me on. Well, great to have you here. Now, you've been at this game a little while, and you're in a particular niche or niche, depending on how you like to say it. Uh, but before we get into those details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory, how you got to this point in your journey. For sure. Well, I'm originally Australian. Uh, I left Australia in 2015, moving across to San Francisco to get involved in technology after a short career in in uh, investment banking. From there, I got involved in a few financial uh, marketplaces and then have been working in software specifically uh, the last few years. Uh, but my passion for real estate really started uh, from a young age. My dad's an architect. And he's always taking me around to job sites and showing me how things are put together and, hey, if we change this you know, one bedroom into a two bedroom or if we modify these cabinets, whatever it is, how we could create more value. So it was always very ingrained in me. And I was lucky enough to get my first exposure to real estate in, in 2012 when we bought our first apartment. And I've just been amazed how uh, powerful it is from a, a compounding uh, wealth perspective, but also uh, it's number one ingredient for people's quality of life. So I've always been attracted to real estate and uh, yeah, happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, I love that story. In fact, my mother was an architect as well. And so I kind of have some of those same experiences, yeah. uh, not necessarily going around to job sites with her because she stopped working to go raise a family, but hmm. walk around New York City and see some of the landmark towers that she worked on was also had a some you know, had a very deep impression on me as well. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't start my career in real estate, I guess it's natural that I ended up here. Yeah. It's a it's funny, even my dad's now thankfully still with us, but he's 75 or so. Whenever I head back to uh, Sydney, Australia, which is where I'm from, he takes me down to this up and coming area called Barangaroo, where they're putting in a bunch of different skyscrapers and those sorts of things. He's always blown away by the development and loves just talking me through how they did it and you know what obstacles they had to overcome, stuff like that. So even though he's not practicing anymore, he still, still lives and breathes it every day. Fabulous. So fast forward to today, what are you working on? So today, working on... A company called Tiny Bricks, and our mission is to unlock the potential of real estate. Basically, what we do is really just help our sponsors raise and manage capital, and we do that by uh, working with different audiences. So, uh, dissimilar to some of the more traditional uh, crowdfunding platforms, we really focus on the younger generation or the newly accredited getting involved in these private placements and private securities, and we focus on educating them and ultimately bringing them to invest with with great sponsors. So, helping the helping sponsors attract capital from a new and differentiated market. That's fascinating. I've long held a philosophy that says, if you want to take someone that has never invested in a commercial real estate project, and all they've ever done is invest in, I don't know, certificates of deposit or something very conservative like that, Mm -hmm. to get them to turn around and face in this direction, it's like taking someone through 180 degrees. Whereas if you have someone who already gets real estate, maybe they own a couple of rental apartments or something like that, now you offer them the opportunity to look a few degrees to the left and say, maybe you like this one better. It's a much easier lift than taking someone through 180 degrees and educating them from ground zero. Mm-hmm. When people engage with you, where what's their starting point? Uh, generally, they've had exposure to real estate. They may own an apartment or have a have a house or you know, their brother has been doing real estate. But you are right, Victor, that getting from zero to investing in their first multifamily deal or commercial or you know, industrial deal is a big jump. Uh, but it's an important jump because commercial real estate is a, a great asset class and can get 
higher returns than they can get on their CDs and other alternate investments. But we think the key thing is just education understanding. Most people get the concept of cash flow and appreciation, but we spend a lot of time talking to newly investors about depreciation, which is like, how does this actually work and how it can protect passive income and, and help them increase their cash flow. Given these are like newly accredited audiences, generally the high income earners. So a common pitch we walk them through is walking through, look, these are REIT dividends. Here's how they're taxed and here's what happens to your cash flow. And these are these are you know, syndications. And here's a K1. Here's how you know you might have a net loss, but you're ultimately making more cash flow. So a big focus is education um, and helping them realize that if they can make more money, then they're more willing to learn about you know all the ins and outs of commercial real estate investing. That's fascinating. So what is it about your platform that's attracting, that's speaking to one particular investment demographic versus another? So what we do behind the scenes is we focus on giving these investors access to better liquidity options. Generally, the newer demographics have been more exposed to other alternate assets. Um, I think digital currencies is a, is a good example, um, but it's many other things where they more used to not having the capital locked up for five to seven years, which is a very important ingredient of real estate. It's a long-term game and you need to hit singles and doubles repeatedly to, to grow and compound your wealth. But what we actually do is in the vehicles we set up for these sponsors, we pull all the capital um, into that vehicle. And then we offer investors in that vehicle uh, liquidity options after the required regulatory period of, of 12 months. So what that means is you know, after 18 months, if Sam wants to sell to, to Mary, um, they can do that within that vehicle. So- is it fair to classify that as a fund of funds from a security standpoint? So we actually co-issue under the sponsor. Um, it is a, a funds of funds from a security standpoint. These are reg D, 506B or C offers. And we're generally we're co-issuing under the same exemption. And we're just pulling the capital, putting it into an SPV, and then giving the sponsor a single counterparty. Interesting. So dig into that structure a little bit deeper, just to make sure that our listeners understand exactly what you're saying. For sure. So let's say we have... Uh, we work with a sponsor that's looking to to raise additional capital for their project, and we have focused on multifamily investments. Um, but let's say that they come to us say, hey, we're looking to, to raise more capital. Here's the project. It makes sense for our IC, and we decide to you know, proceed with that engagement. We'll map out a you know, marketing program and those sorts of things and actually have the investment live on our platform. Um, from that point in time, um, investors in our network can then you know, soft commit, subscribe, find all that sort of stuff. Um, we put all of that into a, a Delaware LLC corp. And we have a separate Honeybricks entity, which is the managing member of that LLC. And that LLC then invests into the, the bigger deal with that sponsor. The end outcome of that sponsor is they get their and they ca- uh, access to new capital. And then we just sit as a single line item in their investor relations portal, just like any other, uh, any other LP. And we manage all the downstream reporting, tax, you know, compliance, verification, all that sort of stuff. Interesting. So... In that context, you're coming in as a portion of the capital raise, certainly not the entire capital raise for a project. That's right. And generally, the sponsors we're working with are doing institutional or sort of just, just sub-institutional deals, $20, $30, 40000000 million. So generally, these investors we work with don't really have access to those those investments. You know, they, they want to put down 100 k as a minimum investment. But through our platform and our vehicle, they can access to the same deals, you know, no, no fees on their side from a much lower minimum. Fantastic. And we often, we hear that a lot as well, that in fact, even the projects that we work on, many of our investors say, wow, it's pretty rare to have the opportunity to even access deals of this nature. They're just not out there in the open marketplace for the average investor to gain access to. And so we hear that feedback very consistently. Oh, for sure. And I think about 
you know, the accredited market in the US is you know, 12 million households, whatever. The, uh, the number of active accredited investors would be a, a very small portion of that. And we think there's a huge opportunity in helping, you know, these newly accredited audiences get access to, you know, great high quality commercial real estate investments just in a format they're, they're used to, you know, lower minimums, more flexibility, those sorts of things. There are noises about the SEC changing the accredited investor definition, raising mm-hmm. the minimum, raising the net worth uh, requirement in order to be considered accredited. Mm-hmm. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Uh, certainly, it would reduce the field of potential investors dramatically if that was to happen, because they're talking about a 10x raising of that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, how, If something like that were to happen, how would that affect you and your business? It would reduce the addressable market of investors, for sure. I have heard of that. I haven't seen any specifics on it. Yeah. Generally, the accredited investors on our, our platform are qualifying with the income requirement, generally by themselves or with the spouse, not so much on the um, the net worth requirement. But we'll have to wait and see uh, You know how that affects the market. I think they've been speaking about it for a while, and um, we'll, we'll have to see. So that's actually a very interesting angle because most of our accredited investors are perhaps a little bit older, a little more established. Mm-hmm. They aim sometimes to minimize their income because they don't want to be paying tax, but they actually qualify on the net worth basis. So you're talking really about the high income earners who haven't necessarily built the net worth, or maybe they have, or they're on the cusp of, of building it, but they are high income earners. Exactly. Yeah. I'd probably say it's two to one we see on the, on the platform at the moment around how people are qualifying. Fascinating. That's, that's, um, I would say that's, almost the mirror image of uh, our, of our investor base. Very, very mm-hmm. interesting. And I imagine that's probably in part driven by the the demographics. I think, you know, we focus on a much younger, you know, newly accredited audience, where I imagine the, the audience you're you're working with is probably maybe the, the older demographic has more, more time to compound that wealth and, and get, to, get to where they are. When we perform due diligence on any project, we typically look at three things. We look at the specific submarket, make sure that the market fundamentals are there in that submarket for mm-hmm. whatever the asset class might be. Mm-hmm. We look at the team that's running it and is it the right people and do they have the right people in the right chairs? And then number three, the specifics of the deal. Yeah. How do you perform due diligence? Decide that something you talked about institutional quality or near institutional quality. How do you make that determination? So very similar structure to those, those three things you outlined there. Maybe not in the same order. Um, as you said, two of the most important ingredients, I mean, we can agree on that, is like what market and what sponsor are we working with? Um, so we work on, we focus on a handful of markets across the, the US and we focus on working with seasoned sponsors or emerging sponsors that have done a, a number of deals. You, know, you, you won't see anything on the Honeybricks marketplace that has you know, a first-time sponsor. Not that they can't perform. There's, everyone has to do their first deal, but we just focus on uh, sponsors that have a track record. You know, They've done it. 12 times in the same market, and this is the 13th value ideal. Um, so definitely market, definitely a sponsor. Yes, the the, the actual deal I mean, is underwritten by an investor committee. It doesn't make sense. It, does the the metrics line up, all those sorts of things. And then we also do um, legal DD off the back of it for all our investors. So we'll have the lawyers you know, go through all the the PPMs, subscription agreements, operating agreements, make sure that it's something we can, we can stand behind. A few other variables, but yeah, very similar structure to ensuring that we're putting good stuff on the marketplace that people can invest in. Over the last 12, 24 months, well, 24 months in particular, I would say, don't quote me on this specific statistic, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say 90% of multifamily deals, especially in the value add category, were closed with bridge financing of some form. And at the time that they were closed and underwritten, they would have assumed a 
an exit into permanent financing with a number that would have started with a three or maybe a four. Mm -hmm. And today we're dealing with numbers that start with a six. Mm -hmm. So what might have been a cash out refinance in the pro forma today is definitely not a cash out refinance. It's going to be debt coverage limited, if Mm -hmm. not even requiring a massive capital call to get into permanent financing. For you as a co-sponsor, as a uh, as someone who's helping place investor funds, what's the dialogue with your investors around that risk item? It's definitely a risk. Thankfully, we're somewhat of a newer platform. We haven't been involved in any of those investments yet that had floating bridge or, or those sorts of things. I think actually one of the investments in our platform has a, a refi in the pro forma. That was done in November. I think that debt was fixed at six or something like that. But it's definitely a risk. I and mean, we're seeing a lot more now You know, in the, in the course of Q1 2023. Lots of sponsors reach out to us. Um, and we obviously we ask ourselves why we're reaching why they're reaching out to us, and you know that, that is a, a real concern for a lot of sponsors. And thankfully, we're seeing lenders get creative, but uh, we haven't been affected by that specifically. Never say never. I think you know things do never go go wrong in real estate, but we haven't we haven't seen that yet on the platform. One thing we have seen, which I think is being underplayed, is you know we think about cap rates. What was a four is now a six. Let's say generally the operating performance and the fundamentals of the deal you know, have continued to perform. Um, so you definitely have seen cap rates move, but a lot of the investments we have on the platform, you know, NOIs also moved considerably. I think across across the market, it's definitely a, a theme we think a lot about, which is sure the cap rates keep spreading out. Is there actually enough fundamental NOI growth here to catch up and, and make that make that a good investment still? Well, Andrew, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, we're at honeybricks.com. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Kreber. But we always love connecting with people and then feel free to reach out anytime. Fabulous. Well, Andy, love the perspective. And for the listeners at home, definitely connect with Andy Kreebar at Honeybricks at honeybricks.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.